Thank you. Thank you um, for uh, all of that. It's been um, it's been a great uh, 25 years. I mean, I, Raylene and I were just talking the other night, uh, just that we can't imagine being in another place. Um, it's been awesome. We're so thankful God brought us to Greeley and to First Evangelical Free Church in Greeley. And um, yeah, we treasure these years and are so grateful to all of you. Um, and thanks for the, the well wishes and the support and and uh, thanks to my awesome family. I'm so grateful for you all. And um, it has been a journey together. And that's made it especially fun and meaningful. So how do I transition? So uh, <laughs> um, what I was saying before I was so rudely interrupted was, <laughs> was uh, just uh, um, how um, the, the remodel, the worship center remodel is uh, complete and, and uh, we're grateful for that. I, I think it looks fantastic and our heart really in this whole process, some of you may have been wondering, why are we doing this? And, and our heart in this whole process has been to create a more inviting and more engaging environment and experience of worship. Um, we believe that spaces matter to God and they matter to us and, and they help us step into an experience with him, with all of our senses. And so the colors and the, the design and the carpet and the stage thrust and all those things were designed with that in mind to help all of us experience God in worship. And that's so much a part of our DNA for 25 years. It has been in and we want that to that heartbeat to to continue. And so, really grateful uh, for your generosity um, because that's what made this happen for uh, the sake of our congregation and for the sake of, of visitors. So, uh, way to go, Christ Community! As always, you guys are so amazing and so generous. Okay, so if you have your Bible or your iPad or smartphone, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 4. We are in the midst of a teaching series entitled Jesus Unexpected. In this series, we're walking through the book of Luke, which is a well-researched eyewitness account of Jesus' life and ministry. And in this book, we are seeking to discover or rediscover who Jesus really is. You know, it's easy for us over time to develop these misperceptions about Jesus. And one of the most common is to see Jesus as this sort of weak, uh, mild-mannered, timid, gentle, Mr. Rogers type person, right? So peaceful and, and serene. Um, but that's not at all the picture that Luke gives us. The passage that we're looking at today reads a bit more like a, a W. WWE Smackdown episode, okay? Uh, a synagogue WrestleMania. How's that? Um, but unlike professional wrestling, this event is real. There's no play acting. In Luke chapter 4, we see Jesus officially begin his public ministry. He is traveling throughout Galilee. He's teaching in various synagogues. He even goes to his hometown of Nazareth and declares himself to be the Messiah, the one who will set the captives free, which brings us to verse 31 of Luke chapter 4. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. 
Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the the surrounding area. This is God's word. Like I said, not your typical worship service. This is not flannel graph material, right? This is synagogue fight night. Okay. Now there, there is a dramatic power encounter that happens between Jesus and a demon. And in this encounter, we learn some critically important truths that can significantly impact our spiritual lives. First, this passage reveals to us the reality of the spirit realm. The reality of the spirit realm. Luke tells us, kind of matter-of-factly, um, in verse 33, that Jesus encounters a demon. And then he, he further clarifies this with the phrase, an evil spirit. So a demon is an evil spirit. The Bible consistently articulates a worldview that involves a spirit realm, a realm that, that includes evil spirits that we cannot see, but we are influenced by. So what are we to do with this? I mean, there, there are some who see a demon behind every bush, right? Behind every illness, behind every relational challenge, behind every world event. There are others who believe demons exist, but they don't really live as if demons exist. And I, I think this includes most Christians. We believe in the demonic realm, but we never really think about it that much. We, we rarely attribute anything to the demonic realm. And then there are some of you who have given very little thought to the idea of demons. For you, perhaps, it's the stuff of fiction. Evil characters in horror movies that, that are either vanquished, appeased, or unmasked, like, like on Scooby-Doo, right? Um, but in terms of influencing people today, you, you think that's a fairly archaic notion. So what do we do with that breadth of perspective here? What do we do with a passage like this in the Bible where this physician, Luke is a physician writing this, he talks matter-of-factly about the reality of demons, and he shows us that they can influence people. What do we do with this? Here's what I would recommend doing. I'd believe it. I'd believe it. I personally believe in the reality of demons. I believe that demons are real, and they can influence us in spiritually harmful ways. Now, I don't believe that every bad thing that happens on earth is directly attributed to demonic influence, but I do believe that much of what happens in our lives and in our world bears the fingerprints of demonic activity. So how can we know if that's the case? Well, one reason I believe is because of how often the Bible talks about demons and their influence in our lives. It's everywhere in the Bible. Um, but, but it's not only for that reason. I, uh, one, other, one other thing, for, or a couple other things for me, but I mean, how do we explain the level of evil that exists in our world? What, what, explain, what explanation do we have for how a 20-year-old can walk through an elementary school, Sandy Hook Elementary School, shooting children, 20 children and six staff in cold blood. How can individuals in ISIS, believing they are holy, kidnap and kill children or cut off the heads of people they disagree with theologically? A friend of mine in law enforcement recently attended a conference on sexual offenders. The things he heard being done to people, to children, were, were enough to make him want to throw up I didn't want to hear details. 
This isn't some uncivilized society we're talking about. This is America, 2015. This is our modern world. How do we explain this level of evil? It seems to me that the biblical explanation of demonic influence is a plausible one. Another reason I believe in demons is because of personal experience. Not only have I talked to many pastors and church leaders and missionaries who have encountered this stuff firsthand, I have personally experienced it. I have seen totally normal, sane, level-headed people suddenly exhibit demonic manifestations with their countenance changing, their voice dramatically changing, hatred spewing forth. It's frightening. I have been yelled at by demonic voices. I have been in prayer sessions where demons leave a person and that person is completely different afterwards. This, this kind of stuff is not something that I, that I boast about or I'm looking for. It's not something I want to sensationalize. But I will tell you, I will tell you that once you experience a confrontation with an actual demon, you can't not believe. You can't not believe. Dr. Scott Peck is a well-known psychiatrist and author of the book, The Road Less Traveled, who for many years did not believe in demons. Then he witnessed two deliverances. He saw in the faces of these two people absolute hatred and satanic evil. And then he saw them delivered from this presence. And this, he writes this, as a hard-headed scientist, I can explain 95% of what went on in those two cases by traditional psychiatry dynamics. But I am left with a critical 5% that I cannot explain in such ways. He now believes in the reality of demons. If you are skeptical of a demonic realm, I would encourage you to consider the biblical evidence as well as these other evidences we've mentioned. And by the way, don't forget that Jesus believed in demons and he had authority over them. So I'd recommend siding with Jesus on this one. Um, it, you know, because if we get this wrong, the implications could be huge, huge if we get this wrong. Which leads to a second truth that this passage reveals to us, and that is the tactics of our enemy, the, the tactics of our enemy. This passage gives us a vivid picture of how the devil works and what he's trying to do in our lives. In a nutshell, the devil and his demonic spirits are trying to bring people into bondage. They can't defeat God, right? They can't, that's no contest. They can't defeat God. So they go after his creation. They go after his sons and daughters. That's, that's us. And they're trying to gain more and more influence, more and more control, by, because by doing so, they rob God of glory. They rob God of his glory. They are desperately trying to thwart God's good plans and his purposes in his creation. Now, now the example we see in this passage of, of this man is a pretty extreme example of this. But the truth is there are levels of demonic influence. And it's important for us to realize this. The most basic level on a demonic influence continuum is temptation. Earlier in Luke chapter 4, we see Jesus being tempted by Satan, and not surprisingly, Satan uses the same strategy against us. You see, demons cannot force us to disobey God. They can't force us to sin against God. So they do the next best thing. They tempt us with a lie. The moment we believe the lie, they influence our behavior. Great example, classic example, Garden of Eden. Here is Eve. In a perfect place, a place of absolute perfection, of complete provision and love from God. 
a perfect place. So how could, get, how could Satan get Eve to freely choose to reject her creator and rebel against him in that kind of environment? How could he do it? He couldn't force her to. He couldn't shove the fruit in her mouth, right? He couldn't do that. So what he did was just suggest some lies, some half-truths to her. Did, did God really say to avoid that activity? He's just trying to spoil your fun. He doesn't want you to be like him. That's his real motive. All lies. But she believed them. She embraced them as true. She freely chose to rebel against God, and Satan didn't have to lift a finger. This is, a, this is really a great strategy that all of us are vulnerable to. The lie he used with Eve is, is often a lie he uses with us. God doesn't really know what's best for you. He's trying to withhold from you. He's trying to spoil your fun. You can't really trust him. Same lie. So go ahead. It won't really hurt anyone if you look at some porn websites. You deserve it. Or go ahead and bend the truth a little bit here. You don't want to look bad in front of your boss, your friends, right? When these subtle lies, these subtle thoughts are dropped into our minds, we often don't even consider the possibility of a demonic source. We just assume there are thoughts. And we often take the bait. Now, we all know that the more we take that bait the easier it is to do so the next time and the next time and the next time. That, that one decision eventually becomes a pattern and then it becomes a habit. And before we realize it, this freely chosen behavior is now controlling us more and more, which is exactly what Satan wants. So his most basic strategy is temptation. That's kind of his launching place. Well, moving forward, if this is a continuum, temptation's over here. If this is a continuum, we see the next level. And again, these are categories. These aren't neat and tidy, you know, things here. But it just gives us a feel for how he works. Temptation, the next on this continuum would be oppression. Oppression. Oppression is a more sustained spiritual attack. Sometimes it comes from repeatedly giving in to temptation over and over again, right? And over time, these lies that we believe that we believed initially, they just become second nature to us. In fact, the Bible has a word for this. It's called a stronghold. We believed it so often, it's just kind of created this rut in our soul. It's just you know, like a rut. When water comes in a, in a rut, it just naturally flows there. That's exactly what happens with us. When these, this thinking, these lies we believe, they begin to create these ruts. And we just, they just become strongholds. We just naturally believe these things. We don't even think about it. It's just instinctive. And they start to exert more and more control over our lives. So that's one form of oppression, kind of a stronghold. But oppression can also come in the form of a heaviness, a discouragement, a fear that settles over us. It can be a prolonged sort of thing where we just feel this weight. We feel this heaviness upon us. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, that, that anytime we feel this, it's definitely a spiritual attack. There are a number of reasons why we might feel depression or experience depression or anxiety, other reasons rather than, other than a demonic attack. But I will also say it could be a demonic attack. It could be. And a lot of times we as believers don't even consider this as a possibility. We just automatically try and find other solutions. But the one thing we don't seriously consider is that this could be demonic oppression, a sustained attack against us, against our children, against our marriage. 
Later in the book of Luke, in chapter 13, we see Jesus healing a, a woman. And notice how this woman is described. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Crippled by a spirit for 18 years. This was a, this was a demonic oppression that had impacted this woman physically. Now, we don't know how this oppression started, but we do see the result. It was debilitating for this woman. Verse 12, Jesus said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Very interesting choice of words. He doesn't say you are healed. No, he says you are set free. She was freed from this demonic oppression. Now, the third level in this continuum, we have temptation, then we have oppression. Third level is what we see in the passage we're looking at today. And this is what we might refer to as infestation. Infestation, where a demonic presence seems to reside within a person, exerting significant influence. Again, this is at the far end of the continuum, but it's still very real. Now, often people today refer to this as being demon-possessed being possessed by a demon. In fact, that's how the NIV translates this passage, that the man was demon-possessed or possessed by a demon. But that is a really unfortunate translation. In fact, whenever you see it in the Gospels, demon possession, it's an unfortunate translation. What this passage literally says was that this man had a demon. Had a demon. There was a demon residing in him, influencing him. See, I am, I'm very uncomfortable theologically with using the possession word because I don't think it's biblically accurate and I don't think it communicates demonic realities very clearly or accurately. Possession speaks of ownership, of being owned by something. But that's not the issue. It's not an issue of who owns this person. It's an issue of territory that has been given to a demon in this person's life. So can a Christian be possessed by a demon? No, they are purchased and owned by Jesus. Second question, can a person have a demon living within them? Absolutely. All the deliverances I have personally been a part of have been with believers in Jesus. They had a spirit that had taken up residence in them and was influencing them in significant ways and it needed to be cast out. In Ephesians 4 Verses 26 and 24, Paul says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. A foothold. Very interesting choice of word, a foothold. It refers to territory. It's a spatial word that refers to territory that we actually can give the enemy. Paul is saying here that we actually give, we can give Satan ground in our lives. And the more ground we give to him through certain sinful behaviors, the, the more influence he has, right? The more we participate in sinful behaviors, behaviors and lives and all this stuff, the more ground that we give to him, the more territory in a sense we give to him. So that eventually a believer in Jesus can actually have an evil spirit that is exerting significant control and influence, a spirit that needs to be removed. Are they possessed by a demon? No. Do they have a demon? Yeah. A good friend of mine had um, a very sexually immoral past before he became a Christian. 
And a, a few years after that, he went to seminary to become a Christian, uh, to become a pastor. Um, and he was already Christian, but he, he went to, to be a pastor. And, but this, 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 this lust thing continued to kind of be a stronghold in his life. So about a year into ministry, so he's a pastor for a year. He was at a conference and during worship, he was just worshiping the Lord during this conference. And he began to physically tremble. There were some prayer team people that noticed this. They were around him. They noticed him and they, they noticed this and they offered to pray for him. And so they went into a prayer room and, and as they prayed, they began to discern there was some demonic influence going on here. And sure enough, as they were praying and doing some, some things you can do to kind of discern these things, a demon manifests itself and it was kicked out through the authority of Jesus. It was a spirit of lust. That was its name, the spirit of lust. And I talked with my friend recently about this experience. And he told me that at that time, when that happened, his level of temptation as it relates to lust went from like a seven or eight to a two immediately and permanently. It's not that he no longer struggles. um, He's no longer tempted. That's not not it. But but this, this lust demon was no longer infesting his life. Now, remember, what we're talking about here, it's far along on the continuum It is not, I wouldn't even say it's typical, but it can happen to believers. Remember, our enemy's goal in this whole process is to gain more and more influence in our lives. And this continuum reminds us that all along the way here, we can give significant ground to the enemy by repeatedly participating in sinful behaviors. And it moves us along in terms of his influence in our lives. Okay, so how do we battle and overcome these tactics? Well, that leads to the third truth this passage teaches us, and that is our our strategy for victory. There, There are two main weapons that we as believers in Jesus have in our battle against our enemy and against his demonic forces, and they're both revealed for us in Luke chapter four. The first weapon we have is the authority of Jesus' name. The authority of Jesus' name. Remember how the demon in this passage responded to Jesus? He was freaking out just by being in his presence. Go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. That was verse 34 there. And by the way, you know, this is important here, I think, but it's interesting how solid this demon's theology is. Did you notice that? This demon believes in God. He believes Jesus is holy. But what demons won't do is voluntarily surrender to this Jesus, placing their trust in him. That's what saves a person. That's what rescues us from the kingdom of darkness. In fact, let me be be really frank here. For some of you, for some of you here, your belief in Jesus is at the same level that demons believe. You believe in God. You believe Jesus is holy. You believe he died on the cross. Demons believe all those things. The key question is, have you voluntarily surrendered your life to this Jesus? Admitting your need and receiving his life and forgiveness. If not, if you haven't done that, your eternal destiny is the same as a demon. Eternity separated from God. I don't say that with any pride in my heart. It's just more of compelling. Think about this. This is serious stuff. Scripture is so clear on this. There is no middle ground. We are either in Satan's camp, freely choosing to live apart from God, or we're in Jesus' camp. Now, when you're in Satan's camp, you don't know you're in Satan's camp because you're just freely choosing to live apart from God. He doesn't have to bother, in a sense, with, with 
you because you're doing exactly what he wants. We're either in that camp or we're in Jesus' camp by voluntarily surrendering our lives to him. And I just want to encourage you, take that seriously. If that's resonating with you, take that seriously. It's such an important issue. Again, this passage shows us really which camp we would rather be in. This is not an evenly matched fight. Did you notice? You know, this is not, you know, they're not duking it out here. The, the, this, the result and the end result of this battle is not in doubt here. <laughs> Jesus has absolute authority over this evil spirit. And this is why at the end of the passage, the people say, with authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. Authority and power in Jesus. And here is what is so awesome. Later in the book of Luke, we see that Jesus delegates this same authority to us. In Luke chapter 9 and then in Luke chapter 10, he sends out his followers to drive out demons in his name. So if you have surrendered to Jesus, if you are in Christ, you have the authority of Jesus. Not in yourself, but in his name. His authority has been given to you and to me to drive back the work of the enemy. We are children of the king. We don't need to live in fear. When we sense a demonic presence in our home, you know, when we wake up in a cold sweat because of some demonic nightmare we've had, we can take authority over that demon and command it to leave in the name of Jesus. Parents, we need to teach our children this. How to use the name of Jesus when they sense some evil presence in their room. Often, and this shows us what a slime ball Satan is, often he will focus on children. Showing up as an imaginary playmate or, or just kind of as an evil, scary presence. I remember meeting with a little boy who was having nightmares, and they seemed to me, they seemed to be demonic. And so, in the course of the conversation, as we were talking about, I just, I just taught this little, little guy that in his dreams, when a bad guy is chasing him, he can actually use the name of Jesus and turn that guy around and drive that guy back. And his eyes got big. Really? Absolutely. Absolutely. And he did. He did. He learned how to use the authority of Jesus when an evil presence shows up in a dream or in his life. We have the same, we have that same authority over any demonic influence. Second major weapon we have is the truth of God's word. The truth of God's word. As I said earlier, Satan's primary strategy is deception. If he can get us to believe his lies, he can influence us, right? So what is the best strategy to use against a lie? The truth. Yes, the truth. Declaring and embracing the truth. This is exactly what Jesus did earlier in Luke chapter 4 when he was tempted by Satan. With every temptation, Jesus responded by quoting scripture. He was declaring the truth. And we need to do the same thing. That the best way to resist the lies of the enemy is to expose the lies and then embrace the truth. Lie. God doesn't love you. God doesn't love you. You're too big of a screw up. Truth. God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for you. He adopted you into his family forever lie. God could never forgive you for what you've done. Truth, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us for all of our sins. He removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. That's truth. See, the truth is an amazingly powerful weapon to use against an enemy who lies to us. 
The truth, when we believe it, renders him powerless. <laughs> really, when we believe the truth, it renders him powerless. Okay, so let's talk about how we can use these two weapons against the strategies we mentioned earlier. First, temptation. This is pretty obvious, right? When we're tempted, we need to run to the truth of God's word. Speak it, embrace it, believe it. Not only that, in the midst of temptation, we can also resist the enemy in the authority of Jesus. So we're using truth and authority. We can resist him. In the midst of when we're feeling tempted, we can pray in the name of Jesus. I command any foul spirit to leave me alone. Go where Jesus commands you to go. Get out of here. Jesus urged us to pray against temptation, right? In the Lord's Prayer, which I believe is a model for us in terms of, of what we should be regularly praying for. It gives us the, the six things that we ought to regularly be praying for. In the midst of that, Jesus prays, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Jesus put that in the Lord's Prayer. How often are we praying against the enemy? He put that in the Lord's Prayer. I pray that most every day a little kind of expanded version of that, but almost every day over myself, my family, this church, church staff. Another prayer tool I've, uh, that I've utilized, um, and I've taken elements in kind of my own prayer now, but it's from author John Eldridge. Um, it's called The Daily Prayer. It's on his website. I'll put a link on my blog. Um, you, you can check it out there. You can do a Google search, John Eldridge, The Daily Prayer. You can find it there. It's just a great prayer of protection, and it gives us language to use when we're praying for these things. Um, so that's how we can use these weapons when we're tempted, to get the truth of God's word and authority when we're tempted. What about oppression? What can we do if we sense that we're under some demonic oppression? We fight. We fight. In Ephesians 6, verse 13, Paul says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. We stand and fight. Now this requires some tenacity. It requires some perseverance. Again, it requires discernment. You know, we're not sure if it's enemy or whatever, so it requires some discernment as well. But it requires tenacity. It requires perseverance. We're standing our ground in Jesus' authority and in his truth. And again, prayer is such a critical part of this battle. Tenacious, persistent prayer. Many of you know um, that, we, that we, we have a special needs son named Joshua. You saw him on the video earlier. He's 14 now. Um, struggles with speech and, and cognition, but he's just a, a sweet, loving boy. Well, a few months ago, Josh entered into this season of, of nastiness. I don't know how else to describe it. Nastiness. He was defiant. He would trash talk us, special needs trash talk, because, you know, uh, not really sure what he's saying, but you know it's not very nice, okay? So just kind of trash talking us whenever we'd ask him to do something. It was awful. I mean, it, it felt demonic at times, the way he would look at me, the way he would look at us at times. It, it felt almost demonic. We pray for him all the time. Many of you pray for him all the time. We're so grateful. But that just didn't seem to help. Our prayers didn't seem to help. So one morning in prayer, Raylene, who's an amazing prayer warrior for our children, as many moms are, she realized that she had been believing a lie. And here was the lie, that God didn't really listen to her prayers about Josh. He didn't really listen to her prayers. So she renounced that lie, embraced the truth, right? Renounced the lie in the name of Jesus, then she embraced the truth. And then she said to the Lord, just in this prayer time, she said, I am so desperate for you to not overlook me. 
because I'm believing in lie that you're overlooking me with Joshua. And I'm desperate to, for you to not overlook me. I am desperate for you to hear my prayers for Josh. Right then, she felt the, the presence of the Holy Spirit come upon her in a tangible way. She entered into several minutes of just groaning and weeping in prayer that included a spiritual language she had never used before. It was this gut-wrenching, intense prayer time. She didn't even know what she was saying. Gut-wrenching, intense prayer time. Finally, after about 30 minutes of this groaning and, and all of that stuff going on, she felt the freedom. After 30 minutes, felt the freedom to stop. And in her spirit, she felt God saying, you will have what you ask for. And she didn't even know what she'd ask for because <laughs> it was just this, this, you know, all that stuff going on. She didn't even know what we, she was groaning for, but she knew it had to do with Josh. And so she was just wrestling in prayer for God. So she was just thanking God for that, that word. When Josh came home from school that day, he was a totally different kid, radically different, happy, obedient, and it's lasted. I mean, teachers are asking us, what happened? And a few of them, we've told them, you know, we kind of get, okay, uh, that sort of a response. But I want them to know that Jesus is, he does that sort of thing. He does that sort of thing. Now, this is not a, this is not a formula. Okay, 30 minutes in prayer, my kids will be obedient. No, that's not, that's not the way this works. It's not a formula. But, but I want us to realize that we have a Savior who is with us in this battle and who has given us weapons to use to fight, namely his truth and his authority. And sometimes we just need to stand and keep standing in his authority and in his truth. The third level of demonic influence on this continuum is infestation. So temptation, oppression, infestation. How do we respond if we suspect that a demon has is starting to have that kind of influence in our lives. Well, the key, well, there are several keys, but one of the keys is just to repent and renounce. If, we, if we've opened doors through activities, sexual immorality, through the occult, through any, any number of other sins, if we have opened a door to that, we can close that door through repentance. We renounce that activity that we've given ground in, and, 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 and we, we close that door in the authority of Jesus. We renounce those sins. We cut off those involvements as specifically as we can in prayer, we, and we bring all those to the cross, repentance. A really helpful book and resource in this regard is, is The Bondage Breaker by, um, by Neil Anderson. At the back of that book, near the back of the book, he has these steps, this chapter on the steps of freedom um, that, that, that you can walk through, just offering prayers of repentance and renouncing. Um, and I'll put that resource on my blog as well. Now, sometimes the influence is so great that we need a prayer team. We need help. We need someone to pray over, people to pray over us, or pray with us. You may be hearing voices. Um, you may feel strong, a strong compulsion in the, in the middle, out of the blue, a strong compulsion towards violence or towards evil or suicide. You know, just go ahead and drive your car off that cliff. I mean, that kind of thing. And you don't know what's going on. If you sense that may be the hell, it could be, it could be that there's some demonic infestation, some significant demonic influence going on. If you feel like that may be the case, feel free to call our church office for, for help. We, we have prayer teams that can pray with you. So don't be ashamed. Don't be silent about it. Please, please, please don't struggle alone. Call the church and, and we will kind of explore next steps because we want to help. 
So here's the bottom line. It's sort of a good news, bad news situation. The bad news, there are very real evil spirits that are seeking to bring destruction and bondage into our lives. The good news, we don't need to fear these demons because we have a savior named Jesus in whose presence demons cower in fear. When we utilize his authority and we embrace his truth, we can experience his victory in the battles that we face. Amen? (laughs) Amen. All right, let's pray together. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to our hearts right now. I want to give a couple of just targets for prayer here. First of all, there may be some of you here, and I I want to just give you an invitation to receive Jesus. There's some of you here, and maybe you believe Jesus died on the cross. You believe in God. You believe these things about Jesus, but demons believe those things about Jesus. So what kind of belief saves us? It is placing our trust in Jesus, acknowledging our need, and placing our trust in him. That's what saves us out of the dominion of darkness and brings us into the kingdom of light, of forgiveness and love. Jesus paid for that, but we have to receive it. It's a free gift. You don't have to work for it, but you do have to receive it. So there may be some of you who are like, I want that. I want to receive that gift today. This is your moment. And I'd love to lead you in a prayer right now where you can do just that. You can escape the dominion of darkness and enter into this kingdom of Jesus and have your sins forgiven, be adopted into God's family forever. So if that's the desire of your heart, would you pray along with me? Dear God, I realize that I am not in your kingdom. I may believe certain things about you, but I don't know you personally. But I want to know you personally. I want to be in your kingdom. I want to be in your family. Even though there's nothing I could do to get to you, no matter how hard I try, you came to me by sending your son Jesus to die on the cross. Jesus, you took all of my sin upon yourself when you suffered there. My shame my alienation from God, the judgment I deserved, you took it all upon yourself. And I choose right now to admit how much I need your forgiveness, how much I need you, and I choose to place my trust in you alone. I bring to you all of my faults and failures and questions and doubts. I just bring it all to you. All my struggles, I just lay them on your shoulders. Take me as I am. I receive you now as a free gift. I receive you, Jesus. And I ask you to transform me from the inside out through the power of your love and grace. God, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Thank you. The angels in heaven are rejoicing that this person is now, these people are now forgiven. They are now in your family, rescued from the dominion of darkness. Thank you. Help them grow in their relationship with you, Lord. Help them grow in that. And Lord, now I want to pray. I want to pray just for discernment. I feel like we, we, need, we need discernment. There are some here who are experiencing demonic attack through temptation, oppression, or infestation, and they're not, they're not even aware of it. 
until this moment. And they're starting to think about these things differently. I pray you would turn the lights on for us spiritually. You would expose the lies of the enemy. Help us to see what he's doing. And then I pray for us in this battle, every one of us here, in the battle of temptation, that we would be resisting the enemy. We would be embracing truth. We would be embracing your authority, using the authority of Jesus. I pray that for anyone experiencing oppression, Lord, just discernment to recognize it. And I pray that you would break it off in the name of Jesus. Break off oppression. Bring life and freedom and joy. And I pray for... um, that those folks in the midst of oppression would stand firm and would persevere in prayer and would get others praying too. They would stand firm in the evil day and keep standing. And Lord, I want to pray also for those who perhaps um, they have opened the door through their own behavior, things they've experienced, maybe through things that have happened to them, but a door has been opened in their lives, and they know that. Or maybe you're wanting them to know that. I pray you would help them know that. There's something going on that they need prayer for. There is some infestation, some territory the enemy has gained a stronghold and more than a stronghold in, whether it's suicidal thoughts or violent thoughts or, or whatever. But I just pray you'd expose that and that you would give them the courage to ask for help. Lord, we we are just praying as a church for the work of the enemy to be broken, (laughs) the enemy to be driven back through the power of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, the truth of Jesus. Lord, drive back the enemy in all of our lives. We don't want to be crazy. We don't want to be kooky about this stuff. Lord, we just want to be reasonable. And we don't want to focus on Satan. We know, Lord, you are more powerful. We don't want to just focus all the time on the enemy. No, no, no. We want, but what discernment when we come in, in face-to-face with a, with a demon, we want to take the authority we have that you've given us in the name of Jesus. And we want to embrace truth and just live in an awareness of, not an obsession with, but an awareness of this realm, that we would walk in freedom and victory. So I pray that over all of us here, at all of our campuses, I pray that over all of us here, freedom in the name of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, the authority of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. All right, why don't we stand as the worship team at whatever campus you're at, the worship team is going to lead us. So Lord, set us free to worship you. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. Continue your work in our hearts and our lives.